Okay, we got about 45 minutes here, so take your Bibles and let's turn to James chapter 5 one last time. How about we do that? Let's wrap up the book of James tonight. And all of what we're talking about, coincidentally, maybe to some, but I think um, in God's providence and in his economy, uh, nothing is by coincidence. Uh, We want to talk about something that connects with what we've just been sharing up here, which is Brad coming up talking about let's come and sing hymns together and have fellowship. Andrew coming up and talking about how we can help one another serve God locally and both locally and overseas. So I want to start tonight with just simply this question, gang, and this is it, and, and simply this. And so we've got mics um, over here, so help uh, dialogue with us tonight. Why do I need to go to church is my question as we begin tonight. And so if I were to just, if someone were to ask you on the street, hey, do you go to church? Yeah, I go to Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. Great. Why should I go to church? What would you tell them? So first you'd probably say, well, do you know Jesus? And let's say they say, yeah, I do know Jesus. Um, You might think that that's a fairly obvious question or an answer that you would have for them, but I'll pose it anyway. Why should I go to church? Why should you come to church? What would you think? Just, okay, to honor God. We come to church to honor God. Why else? Okay, for fellowship. Keeps our faith strong for guidance, for accountability, okay, to get an education, to get trained, to get encouraged, Uh, worship, yeah, I didn't hear that yet, worship. What if I were to tell you this? What if I were to play devil's advocate tonight and just say simply this? Um, Because of technology and the advent of technology in terms of the resources we have available to us, I can do every single thing you mentioned from the comfort of my own home. And I'm going to argue this. I'll probably get better teaching from home. Lord, don't strike me. Because I can download the, the best preachers, maybe including Pastor Lynn, but I can certainly include the, I can download the best preachers or listen to them instantly from home, various preachers, multiple times throughout the day. I can wake up at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning and listen to four messages by 10 o'clock before you've rolled out of bed and driven over here and parked way out there and taken the tram up here and got situated. And I've listened to probably three or four of the best preachers in the country or in the world. I can sit at home and listen to Hillsong Australia every week, which again, I think rivals what we have here. Close. I can, um, in fact, I have a group of guys I meet with once a week, every week, that we have deeper accountability and fellowship than I get on a Sunday morning. How many of you came last Sunday morning and had deep fellowship and or accountability? Really, truly. Let me be honest. Dare I ask this, playing devil's advocate. How many of you came last Sunday, first of all? And then secondly, how many of you came last Sunday and showed up on campus came to a church service, maybe put your kids over there, at the end of the church service, got up, got back to the tram, got back to your car, and left campus. How many of us do that on a regular basis? And the only time we truly fellowship is when whoever's doing the announcement says those words we don't like, stand up and greet one another for 30 seconds. Oh my goodness. So you know who we end up greeting? Our family members. 
So help me if I catch any of you hugging a family member during the time we're supposed to greet people. But that's what we do, don't we? So while we say things like, why should I come to church for great fellowship? How many of us are really doing it? I'm arguing this. I've got a group of guys that I meet with once a week. We, we know each other's lives. We know each other's business. We know each other's sins. We know each other's joys. And we don't do it in the context of Cornerstone. What else did you mention? Um, what else was there? Fellowship, worship, teaching, education. Am I missing something? Accountability, which I get not from Cornerstone. Why do I, why should I come here? To serve. You can't serve on TV, that's true. But I go on every Friday night, I go under Phoenix Rescue Mission, I serve down there three hours a night, three hours a week. Which is probably three hours more than a lot of us here serve. Fellowship with other believers takes place not on Sunday morning per se, but again, I fellowship with those four guys once a week in a way that I think is truly biblical fellowship, which is we get to know each other, not stand up and greet one another. Why should I come to church? Because God said so. so get out of your house. Why not come to church? Boy, we, I don't think we want to answer that question. Because I think we come up with a pretty good sized grocery list of why not to come to church. Do you come to church out of honor and respect to God? So it's what a worship service is. I wonder how many of us drove here on campus on Sunday with that in mind. Maybe. Maybe we do it out of habit. Maybe some of us do it because that's what we were told to do. I, uh, comment back here i guess i don't um well i i guess i kind of have two comments sure the first thing that comes to my head when you ask that question is if i'm in a relationship with somebody you look at it as a give and take so if he's going to show up in my life and in my house out of honor and respect for him i feel like i should go to what he considers to be his house every once in a while um so that's kind of my first statement my second statement is in regard to the fact that when I come to a church environment where he is here and I can feel his presence because so many people have um, him in mind and it's their purpose for being there, I don't get that at home. And I yeah. don't get that from the video and I don't get that from the TV. Good. Good. Um, I hope that that question presses us a little bit um, and maybe even we push back a little bit. I think it's a legitimate question. I think we need to be ready to answer that. And guys, I don't think we need to go any further than the two examples that were up here tonight. Somebody stands up in front of a couple hundred people and says, we're going to have a potluck on Saturday night. Come on, we'll have a potluck and sing hymns. You can't get that at home. You could sit by yourself and cook your own meal and sing hymns, I guess. I'm not sure how that looks. Someone stands up here and says, this is the way God's moving in my life. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if Andra didn't have anyone to share that with and enjoy that with? But rather, she created this nonprofit from her, the depths of her uh, own home in her bedroom, and that's as far as it went. 
because she didn't have a body of believers, a body of people that with a common faith that could understand and appreciate and walk with her in this process. That would be a tragedy. Why do you need to come to church? Simply, I think it's one word, and that's community. We come to church, guys, because it's yes to all of the other things we said. It is the house of the Lord. We do worship God here. But there's no other place on the face of the planet once a week or multiple times a week where people of like-minded faith gather to do all the things that the, the first church was doing, including teaching and fellowship and worship and prayer and evangelism and community. And the verse that comes to mind, I guess, to me that represents this the most is I need to be around people that, that can weep with me and rejoice with me. That's what life's all about. And for me to do that in the confines of my own home would be, uh, would be rather desolate. It'd be, it would be um, almost depressing. It'd be like hitting a hole in one and no, no, one could, no one's there with you. That's why I never play golf alone, <laughs> quite honestly. I've never had a hole in one and I can't even imagine having one now, 30 years later, since I started playing by myself. It'd be the worst feeling in the world. But can I, could I imagine going uh, with a group of friends that I've played golf with for decades now and hitting a hole-in-one with them by my side? First, I'd rub it in their face. But then I would think, I'm just, I'm glad you're here. That's what community is. It's going through life together. But guys, the difference is, is you're a believer in Jesus. Puts you on a whole different path. It's not going through life together with a non-Christian. It's not the same thing. Because when God speaks to you in those undeniable moments where God is moving in your heart, when God says go start a nonprofit, you need other believers that you can share that with and they don't ask a whole bunch of questions. They don't question you to death on the uh, wildness of the idea, but they're there to say, uh, absolutely, why wouldn't you do that? How can I help you? You need believers around you when you have those spiritual highs. Uh, can you picture men that went to men's, men's camp? Can you picture other men there that don't know Jesus or you at a camp like that with four or 500 guys who don't know Jesus? It's just not the same. If, if, you, were, if you weren't there, uh, there was something incredible toward the, I think, Saturday night when we were singing a cappella. Four or 500 guys singing a cappella. Um, that's, that's borderline magical. And I would assume something like that happened last night. You don't get that? Deer camp. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I can't imagine you would. There's something about the body of Christ coming together and doing life together that is supernatural. And we say that that is the body of Christ. That's the church. Why do you come to church? Because of that. What's amazing to me is that the average Christian, and when I say average, I mean us, twice a month you hit church. Vacations, sickness, the football game, whatever it is. Kids are sick. You average coming to church twice a month. So if you're, if you're above that, please know you're in the upper echelon of believers. The number of Christians who give to the local church, again, has maintained right around 20% are faithfully giving to support a church like this. 75 to 80% are giving when they can 
occasionally, sporadically, or not at all. Why should you come to church? James, I think, addresses this in somewhat of a, uh, of a kind of a final way as we, as we end the book of James tonight. Uh, we, we embark on this little journey here for the next few minutes on this issue of prayer. Look what he says in verse 13. Why should I come to church? It's because I get to do this, which is pray for people. Is anyone among you suffering, he says, let him pray. Verse 13, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. He gives an example in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it didn't rain on earth for three years and six months and he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit if you look back on those six verses here look at verse 13 is anyone among you suffering let him pray look at verse 14 is any among you sick let him call for the elders and let them pray over him verse 15 and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one that is sick verse 16 confess your sins to one another and pray for one another the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much elijah was a man with our nature like ours and he prayed earnestly Verse 18, and he prayed again. One of the absolute privileges you and I have this side of heaven, folks, is to pray. Now, somebody give me a working definition of prayer. What is prayer? Okay, so what separates that than entering the presence of God? But what separates that then from praising God or worship? And you may say, well, prayer is worship. I get that. But what is prayer? What, what am I doing when I'm praying? I'm communicating. I'm communing with God because I've entered into his presence. No other place in the world can you do that with a body of believers than the local church. I just got a prayer request right now, just as soon as I walked in here. Uh, dear old saint said, um, or came up and said, do you know Janie Gray? And I said, no. I said, well, can you pray for Janie Gray? Um, she just found out she has uterine cancer. So can you pray for her? That's what the body of Christ does. You can't do that at work. You can't do that in a public school. You can't do that uh, for most of us in our neighborhoods. You can't just knock on your neighbor's door, whom you don't know, because we haven't taken the time to get our, to know our neighbors and say, hey, would you pray for Janie Gray? But in a local church, you can come through those doors 24-7 and say, hey, would you pray for this person? And God forbid we should ever say, well, I'm too busy. I don't have the time. No, of course I want to pray for her. Because the effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. So, bow your heads. Let's pray for Janie. Father, we don't claim to uh, know everything, that's for sure. And we don't know how you work. Honestly, I don't, God. I don't understand how you move. I don't understand your will. I don't understand your timing. I barely understand your grace. 
But God, all those things that we know because the scriptures tell us are true about you, we don't have to understand them to believe them. We can trust that these things are true. Why? Because the Bible tells us they're true. That you're a God who is Jehovah Jireh. You are a God who is our provider. You are a God who is our healer. God, you are a God who is our victor. And so, God, we pray for Janie. Father, we lift her up to you, and the news she just received of uterine cancer is devastating. And yet, Father, we know you can accomplish much. And so, God, by faith, we ask that you would heal her. God, we ask that you would do a work in her life that she would be a walking miracle. God, ultimately, we want your will to be done, Father, because we know your will is perfect and your will is good. So in the meantime, Father, would you give her peace? Would you give her wisdom in how to make decisions with this new news? And Father, for family members and friends that know her, would you, Holy Spirit, allow them to uh, continue to offer up prayers for her, to come alongside her and to comfort her with words of comfort and encouragement? And Father, those days where she just is overwhelmed and wants to cry her heart out may you surround her with people that can love on her and just let her do that and god to that end we will give you the praise in christ's name amen in verse 13 paul says is anyone among you suffering let him pray watch this go back two chapters and go back to chapter i'm sorry three chapters go back to chapter one he says is anyone among you suffering let him pray Do you know what the prescription for suffering is? James says here, it's to pray. He says back in chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brethren. Remember we talked about this back in August. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, he says, what should you do? Ask for it. And God will allow you to see clearly as to how I need to manage and navigate this trial I'm in. And so he comes back in chapter 5 and he says, hey, are you suffering today? Pray. Is that my first response when I'm suffering? Is that that my go-to when I'm suffering? Or is my go-to when I'm suffering to tweet about it and blog about it and post it somewhere and whine about it and complain about it? Or is my first response to say, God, I don't understand this. I'm frustrated by it. I'm bothered by it. But I want you to know that. I'm praying. Is that my first response? See, and then he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. In other words, God saying, James, through James, God saying, if you're down or if you're up, which direction do you need to go? If you're suffering or if you're singing praises, who do you need to talk with? God. Instead of going horizontal with our praises or with our sufferings, he's saying, first go vertical. Go to God first. If you're rejoicing today because God has blessed you, does he know that? Because you've said that to him over and over and over again. When you're down because of suffering, does he know that? Because you've opened your heart up to him. Man, we do such a great job of opening our hearts up to other people. 
loved ones, family and friends. We do such a great job of rejoicing with each other. But God wants in on that. He wants to be a part of that. He wants you and I to get up every day and start our day by communicating with him. God, I don't know what today is going to bring. But the way I can see it, because I'm looking at it, my schedule, it's going to be hellacious today, God. I've got meetings. I've got tough conversations. But God, I so want your will to be done today. And if I suffer through this day, God, I'm gonna, you're going to be right there with me and we're going to talk about this. And if I rejoice through this day, God, because those things went well, you're going to know that I'm giving you all the credit for that. And I'm going to get to the end of my day and I'm going to still be singing your praises. That is a good day for a believer. Not because your day went well, but because your relationship with God went well. Thought or comment back here? Yeah, Greg, um, just to offer a little encouragement about prayer. Sure. I've been praying for my adopted son for the last 18 years. Yeah. And uh, we're all, just like us, we're all adopted into God's family. Absolutely. But uh, I received a letter last week from him uh, stating that uh, he accepted the Lord as a Savior. Oh, my goodness. After 18 years. So... I just would, uh, I would just say, you know, he was following another religion, and I would just say, just don't give up on prayer. You know, God may not answer it today, tomorrow, next week, or next month, but he will answer that prayer. Amen. Well, that's special. Thank you very much. Here's the reality of prayer, guys. Let me just think out loud with you here, if I could. Will we be praying in heaven? I mean, we'll be praising God. Certainly, we're praising God in heaven, Okay. But will you be asking for things in heaven? By prayer and supplication, will you let your needs be made known to God? Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, right? But by prayer and supplication, make your needs be made known to God, so the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is that going to be necessary in heaven? Am I going to be anxious in heaven? Gosh, I hope my wings grow. Man, I cannot get this flying thing down, right? I mean, what, what are you going to be anxious for in heaven? I don't know. I don't know. I know we're singing praises in heaven. And I don't want to go so far on the ledge here that I'm going to fall off real quickly. But I don't know how much praying I'm going to be doing in heaven. Boy, God, I really hope, um, you know, that person moves out of the mansion next to mine and, you know, and d- down a few mansions or whatever. I don't know what it is. Now is when you pray. So how much praying are we doing? How many times are we going before the Lord for our kids or for our coworkers or neighbors or loved ones? Um, twice a week I do with my students. We take prayer requests twice a week. And guys, I got to tell you, it's some of the spe- most special times of the week for me. Because we get out of the classroom and into each other's lives. Today, uh, second hour, I teach over at Valley Christian High School. Today, second hour, the very first prayer request. Um, can you pray for my mom? Sure, why? She had her first bout with chemo, first round of chemo. She has uh, uh, breast cancer, first round of chemo. And uh, it was, it, they give her double doses once a week. And the student said she's not doing well. So I'm sitting 20 feet away from an 18-year-old kid who came to school. Meanwhile, his mom is home, losing her hair, getting sick, throwing up because the chemo is not going well for her. That's what the church says. That's what we do for each other. That's what the Christians do for each other. So, so, so will he need to offer up that prayer request in heaven? I don't think so. This is the time. This is the time we do that as the body of Christ.
uh, comment over here and then keep um, going. I want to be brief. I just wanted to share. I do have a testimony this afternoon. Yeah. Um, my nine-year-old, for some reason, does not like public restrooms. And I'm trying to help him get over that. And we have one right where we live, down the street here. And I said, I just want you to go get a paper towel. Needless to say, he's yelling, screaming, having a fit. There's a man and a lady standing next to the water thing where they get bottles of water. And I'm standing in the men's room with him, trying to explain to him there's nothing in here. There's nothing going to harm you. And the last thing I said to him when I was coming out the door, I wasn't paying them any mind. I said, we do not operate in the spirit of fear. In Timothy, it says that God gives us power, love, and a sound mind. And I heard someone say, amen. So I'm still trying to talk to him. He's got tears rolling down his eyes. And this gentleman came over to me and he said, what's the problem? And I said, oh, he'll be fine. He's just afraid of the restroom. And he says, would you like prayer? This is a total stranger. And I'm like, sure. And Jacoby's looking at me like, um, uh, well, yeah, okay. So then he invites my older son, my teenager. He says, would you like to come and pray for your brother as well? And we do the prayer, and and it's a very nice prayer, and then I pray. And then he looks at my teenager, and he says, there's power when a brother prays over his little brother. So Evron prayed, and then afterwards, you know, he said, I asked him, did he receive it? He says, yes, Mom, I received. And he says that prayer is like apple seeds. Like he says, I'm thinking of Johnny Appleseed Park. And we spread seeds of faith. And once the prayer was done, I said, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. And I, I reached for his hand, and he says, my name is Bob. I'm from Cornerstone. And I was like, wow. So when you said that we can't just knock on doors, it's, it's amazing to me that the boldness that someone would have yeah. now. People are walking by, kids are snickering and giggling, but right. it's just the idea that this man took time from what he was doing to stop and pray for us, which is something that we're supposed to do. Incredible. And That's I wasn't awesome. going to say anything, but I couldn't sit here and hold that without sharing that. That is what we're called to do. Amen. We're called to pray. And it doesn't matter who's looking at you That's right. or how you feel. He saw my child was in distress. And instead of saying what most people do, look at that horrible child who's misbehaving. Yeah. That crazy mother's in the men's room yeah. with her with her son. You know, we got to go to the bathroom. What's right. going on here? He decided to pray. And I, I just wanted to say, I told Jacoby, there are no accidents. God knew that this was going to happen at this moment. Yeah. And that man was there for a reason. And when we got up here, he turned and he looked at me and he says, Mommy, I'm sorry for giving you such a hard time. And he says, you know, I actually feel better. I don't mind going to Kaboom now. (laughs) Amazing. Guys, you know, I'll get off prayer for just a second here, but, but don't try to, don't try to figure prayer out. Um, I just, I don't get it. I honestly don't. Does God know what I'm going to say before I say it? Probably. So why say it? Right. I mean, Sometimes I capture, I catch myself doing that. Well, I pray. God knows my heart. He knows what I'm going to say. Because prayer is a discipline that gets us off of our mental couches and into, as was mentioned, the presence of God. Obviously, prayer is more for you and me than it is for God. But there's something about that relationship that requires and demands that we talk to our Heavenly Father about anything. 
Um, And watch what he chooses to do with it. He says here, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Now your two options are simply this. This guy could be either physically sick or spiritually sick. I, I, I don't care which one you choose. If you go the physical route, then what you're suggesting is, is, is anyone among you physically sick? Call for the elders of the church. Call Marty up over here. And Marty will come over and pray for you. He'll bring his flask of oil with him. He'll anoint you in the name of the Lord. And he will offer up a prayer in faith. And that will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if I've committed any sins, they'll be forgiven me. It's problematic. I get that. Because you're going in and I'm going in saying what? It isn't going to work. And so I'm here to tell you. This is not formulaic by way of this is I've we've now discovered how to heal people. It was missing all these years and all of a sudden now all we need to do is James 5 and oh I forgot I didn't call the elders. So now once I do that this is a guaranteed healing that's not what's being said here. But can a healing take place? Do you remember the account of Hezekiah back in 2 Kings? Anyone remember that account? It's pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah we got time. Go to 2 Kings real quick. Just hold your, hold your finger in James. Go to 2 Kings. Second uh, Kings, how about chapter 20? 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. Can God do what he wants? Absolutely. 2 Kings chapter 20, starting in verse uh, 1. In those days, 2 Kings 20 and 1, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. The prophet shows up. How are you feeling? Man, I'm not doing well at all. Yeah, well, here's the deal. You better get, you better balance the checkbook here. Because you're going to die. Okay. Remember now, he says, O Lord, verse 3. I'm sorry, he turns his face to the wall and prays to the Lord. Okay, this is Hezekiah. He says, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you how I've walked before you in truth with a whole heart, and I've done what is good in your sight. So now Hezekiah begins to weep bitterly. And it came about before Isaiah had gone out in the middle of the court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then Isaiah said, take a cake of figs. They took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. This guy prayed to God. He wept bitterly. He wanted more time. And guys, God gave it to him. 15 years. The question is, is that normative? Or is that an occasion where God chose to hear the prayer of his, of his people and heal this guy? So if you go the route of James, go back to James chapter 5. If you go, if you heal the, if you go the route of James chapter 5 that that person is physically sick... The very least he can do is what we've been talking about, which is call upon the community of God. 
And one of the things I struggle with, guys, with really big churches is are we doing that? Go to a small church, go to a church of 100 people. We're calling on each other all the time for the littlest of things. Johnny's got a fever. Call the church. Let's figure this thing out. But in a bigger setting, are you and I taking advantage of what James is prescribing here, which is do other people know your hurts? Do people know when you're broken physically or emotionally? Do people know when you're going through tragedy? Do people know when you're suffering? Or do you do church at home? James says, is anyone among you sick? Look at this. He says, who's to call for the elders? The sick person is. You've got to let us know how you're doing. Guys, the, the, the people who lead this church, they're not prophets and they're not magicians. Well, they, they should have known I was out of a job. How would we know that? Well, they should have known that Johnny was sick. How would we know that? <coughs> You've got to let us know. Are you sick? Call for the elders. Now, do the elders, do the leaders of the church have a responsibility? Absolutely. That's what we do in the body of Christ. Let me tell you guys something, okay? The body of Christ is messy. The body of Christ is calling at two in the morning and you go and respond. The body of Christ is saying, you've got to deal with my problems. And on the other end, we're saying, I will deal with your problems because you know what? You're going to deal with my problems. Yes, we will deal with your problems. And let's deal with this together. But guys, that equates to messiness and ugliness and sin and dealing with sin. And so I, I'm going to suggest this. Maybe he's not talking about physical sickness. Or maybe he is, but maybe he's also talking about spiritual sickness. And the reason I say that is for verse 15. And the prayer offered up in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Could the sins be attached to the sickness? Because then he says in verse 16, therefore. Now, why does he say therefore? What, you English majors, what does therefore mean? What should I do with therefore? Look where? Look to the previous context, right? So I look to the near context. We're just talking about healing and committing sins. And there's where James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. Could it be this? Sin kills people. Spiritually it kills you, for the wages of our sin is what? Death. Physically it kills people. Uh, we were up at man camp. One of the breakout sessions is on pornography. I told you guys this a couple weeks ago, I think. Room was packed. Room was packed. And, and people were in there trying to figure it out. But the guy who spoke had a testimony where his addictions basically killed him occupationally. And had he gone the distance with it, probably would have killed him physically. And certainly was killing him spiritually. 
But here's the beauty, guys. The beauty of the body of Christ is we're in a room up at man camp talking about pornography. That's the beauty. We're not hiding it. We're not sheltering it. We're not saying that's for a private thing in your own home. We're saying, I'm struggling with this. What's your suggestions? And so ideas were bouncing around this room. And I got to tell you guys something. It was pretty powerful because there were kids, not kids, but teenagers in there. 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kids listening to guys that are twice, three times their age saying, I struggle with this at 50. I struggle with this at 60. I've been addicted since I've been 30, whatever it is. And the, the power, I think, in the, in the body of Christ is to say to these youth, the next generation of church leaders, if you don't nip this thing, if you don't deal with it, it's going to kill you. James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? So that you may be healed. Are, are you and I, are we doing that in the body of Christ? Do you have a small group here at Cornerstone? You're not going to do it in this group. I'm not going to do it in this group. I've got to be honest with you. I probably wouldn't even do it in a small church with 30 people. But I'll do it in front of five guys. God, I, okay, because I got five minutes left of my tenure here at Cornerstone, I get to say this. Um, we're, we're not doing well with our small groups by way of numbers in proximity to how many people come to this church. And by well, I mean we could do a lot better. So we're doing okay, but we could do a whole lot better. Guys, small groups is the only place you and I are going to confess our sins to one another quite on. I, I know that to be true. You know that to be true. Every now and then we'll do it like in a group this size, but we're not going to do it. We're going to confess our sins to people that we trust, men and women that we trust in a small group context. And James comes along and says, do that. Verse 16, confess your sins in one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I think maybe possibly this idea is that this guy was spiritually sick and he takes, he's got the guts to say to the people in his church, would you come pray for me? Because I'm dying here. And he says, if they do that, Not only is he healed, but it says that if he committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. There is restoration and power in community, confessing and praying. I think it's a beautiful passage, but it requires us to be in each other's lives. It requires us to get messy with one another. It requires us for to look across the table of each other and say, man, you're screwing it up. And for me to say, I am screwing it up and I don't want to anymore. So help me. I will help you. And it begins with praying for you. Just food for thought here, but when's the last time we prayed for each other rather than judge each other? We can do that. We have the the opportunity to do it. And and, and we're going to wrap it up here with these last two verses. Let me, let me just wrap it up with these two verses because these are powerful, guys. Look at verse 19 and 20. I think it's just such a poetic conclusion to this whole book. My brethren, if any of you strays from the truth and, the one, tur- and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The Christian life, guys, is so incredibly um, beautiful. 
because you and I get the opportunity to do things that no one else on the planet gets to do, which is to save souls from death. You and I have the privilege of going out every day and looking at people who do not know Jesus Christ and be used by God to save their soul from death. You and I also have the privilege every day to come alongside believers in Jesus Christ who have gone off the rails because of sin and to bring them back into fellowship with God and save their souls from death. Either way, you and I are in the business of saving. Now, who do we give the credit to? Obviously God. Who does all the work? Obviously God. But guys, God has given you and me the opportunity this side of heaven to get in on the action. And I don't know about you, but I want in. I want in on the action, which means this. I got to be vulnerable with you. I can't just demand that from you. I've got to get in on the game, which is I got I to share my dirty stuff with you. I got to tell you when I'm doing good. You got to rejoice with me when I'm doing good. Got to clap when I'm doing good. And you got to weep with me when I'm doing bad. When I'm going through tragedy or trials or, or heartaches, you got to weep with me too. And I'll do that, that with you. And then one day... Jesus is going to call us all home and let the party begin. In the book of James, if you've been with me since, uh, gosh, August, we've talked about how to deal with suffering, how to handle sin, proper view of faith and works, how to be impartial, how to use my words for God, what believer's life should look like, how to battle the word and win, or the world and win, what to do with our riches, how to be patient. We need each other. It's a phenomenal book. And guys, can I just close by saying I've had the phenomenal privilege of being up here just dialoguing with you about the, uh, about the word of God. My heart, my prayer, honestly, is that uh, you would come back this summer and Chris um, Haydett's going to be up here and he is going to just continue the good work that God has begun years and years ago when he decided to do a Tuesday night Bible study. Uh, so come back next, uh, this upcoming summer. Chris will lead you in, in far bigger and better ways than this past year. But guys, thank you so much for this past year. Um, my, 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 uh, that's okay. My heart has been here on Tuesday nights and I have loved it. Um, so thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been, God's been good. So. Let's close in prayer. Let's give God the glory. Father, thank you. Um, thanks so much for, for what you're doing in the lives of these people. And God, it's been, um, it has been an honor. I will never forget uh, this past year of, of walking through life with, with these people. Um, the notes I've gotten, Father, the phone calls, the words of encouragement, um, just people asking for prayer. Um, I feel like this has been my church uh, for the past year. And... Um, I've loved it. I've loved every minute of it. Um, so God, continue a good work with Chris. Pray for him. Pray that you would use him in great and godly ways. And Father, at the end of the day, that we would just uh, become uh, students of the word of God. As the psalmist says, um, as the deer pants for the water, God, may our souls long for you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a good summer. Hey, folks, excuse me just a moment before you leave. A uh, couple more announcements. I know we've had a lot of those today. Um, as you know, this is the last mine of the spring semester. We will be starting back up again July 16th. 
Uh, we're going to have a lot of information that will be flowing out to you on Sunday about what we're going to be doing at the mine and also um, through the emails that I send out. But just a couple of things quickly. I want to thank a lot of the people that have helped make uh, this spring semester happen, uh, people like uh, Bill and Ann, um, people like my wife Pam, yeah. Mike in the back Absolutely. who takes care of all yeah. of this, Ryan and Bobby. Uh, back who take care of everything. I just want to thank you all very much for that. And I also want to thank Greg. In fact, I think we'd be, um, it would be wrong not to stand and, and offer up a prayer for Greg going forward. So would you join me? Um, stand and, and we'll just offer up a, a word of prayer here. Father God, we just want to come before you tonight and thank you so much for everything that you've done for us, for everything that you've taught us, the wisdom that you've imparted uh, to us through Pastor Greg. Father, he shares so much of himself. He gives so much of himself. We've had fantastic life stories about his successes and just tragedies as well as his challenges. He's been very transparent, Father, and he's made a real difference here in the mine. And Father, we just want to ask that you continue to bless his path guide him as he goes through to complete his doctorate degree. And the good thing, Father, that we want to thank you for is he's not leaving us. He's going to be around. Um, and we thank you so much for that, Father, because he has meant so very much to us. And we thank you, Father, and ask your blessing on him and his family, Father. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for making the mind yeah. what it is, because without you guys, this wouldn't be happening. So God bless you. Thank you for your hearts and dedication to God's word. And we look forward to seeing you this summer. And we have a little token Thanks. of our appreciation, oh. Greg. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank Thanks, you. Mike. Really enjoyed it. it. Thank you. Thanks, guys.